What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a fantastic day. Thank you so much for checking out today's podcast. So to start the show, I'm going to run back the YouTube video that I played from last night, recapping Game 2 of the NBA Finals between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. I did something to my jaw, so I'm trying not to talk a ton. And then after that, we're going to talk about the new NBA head coaching hires, mainly Monty Williams and Frank Vogel. It's an absolutely loaded show. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. The Miami Heat have tied up the NBA Finals with one game apiece, winning 111-108 here in Game 2. Uh, really, the only adjustment to the starting lineups, Kevin Love starts the game for Miami. And I thought he played well. Uh, I thought he was really big. Ten rebounds. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the size difference in Game 1 in my last video, if you want to go watch that. And he brought some much-needed size and rebounding, pulled down ten boards, uh, hit a couple threes as well, so his ability to stretch the floor. Make Jokic defend on the perimeter a little bit. Um, I thought he was huge for them. He was like, I believe, like plus seventeen, no, pl- plus eighteen in twenty-two minutes. I mean, he was really, really big for them. Um, that combined with just the absurd shooting for Miami, I think is why they won this game. Kevin Love gives them a much-needed lift. Uh, didn't shoot great overall, two of nine from the field, but the rebounding I thought was really, really big for them. Um, and then, yeah, so Miami starts really hot from three, four of eight in the first quarter. Much needed because Jimmy Butler goes one of five from the field. Uh, and then the second quarter, Jimmy Butler gets going, right? Uh, three of five from the field, hit a three. But Miami stays hot from three. And it becomes very apparent that this is going to be one of those games where Miami just shoots lights out. And so as soon as you see this, as soon as you realize this trend, this goes from, this would be a nice game for Miami to win to, this is a must win for Miami because the only games they're going to win in this series are the games where they shoot lights out from three. Simple as that. They aren't going to have an average night offensively and beat Denver because as good as their defense is, this Denver offense is incredible. So they go like eight of, they go eight of 17 from three in the first half. And then that's kind of it. When we look at Denver, they weren't great in the first half. Uh, you know, they had a really good second quarter, scoring 34 points. But Jokic was the only guy who was in double figures through the first half. He scored 13 points. He really kind of kept them in it. Uh, he only had three assists in the first half and four rebounds. Like I said, the Kevin Love rebounding I thought was big because he kept, kept Jokic off the board. They scored so many points off of Jokic offensive rebounds. I believe he only had three in this game. And he only had three assists, which is even more important. You're going to hear a lot of people talk about the lack of assists from Jokic tonight, and that's why they won. Um, but I would be remiss to not mention the Miami Heat role players because when the Miami Heat role players show up, they are really tough to beat. They have three guys score twenty tonight. Butler scores twenty one, Bam scores twenty one, and Gabe Vincent leads them in scoring with twenty three points. And Max Strus doesn't go over from the field. He ends up with fourteen. And look, when Miami has one role player show up, whether it's Vincent or Martin or Struess or Duncan Robinson, who was really big off the bench, we're going to talk about his fourth quarter here in the here in a second. He scored all ten of his points in the fourth quarter. When they have like one guy show up in terms of role players, they are really really tough. But when they have two guys show up and then they get that little six minute burst from Robinson on top of it, I mean, all the dominoes just kind of fell 
for this to be a game that Miami needed to win and ended up winning. Okay, they got good contributions from their role players. One of them popped off and had a great game. They got a short spurt from another guy. They shoot 49% from three for the entire game, which is just absurd. They missed, what, six shots, if that, in the fourth quarter. I mean, just an absolutely perfect storm for Miami. And, you know, that fourth quarter, like I said, we're going to get to that here in a second, but they scored 36 points in it. Um, Yeah, so you move into the third quarter. And Jokic starts to really assert himself in terms of scoring the basketball. Scores, you know, has 31 points at the end of the third quarter. It means he scored 18 points in the third quarter. And you know, Denver has a lead. And then the fourth quarter starts, and Duncan Robinson comes out, scores eight really quick points. You look up, Miami has a lead, 85-83. They didn't give it back. Okay, and you continue to look. You know, for me at least, I keep looking at these shooting stats, and it's like, oh, Miami started six for six. Oh. Miami started 9 of 10. I mean, they just did not miss. You know, they put Jokic in a lot of screen and roll, made Denver's defense rotate, and they got a lot of open looks that they made. And speaking of making open looks, when we look at Denver, really this entire team as a whole, outside of Jokic, really struggled to score the basketball. Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, and Catavis Caldwell-Pope combined to shoot 3 of 12 from 3. That probably won't happen again. Jokic only has one assist in the second half. Doesn't come till late in the fourth quarter when he grabs the offensive rebound. And he kicks it out to Jamal Murray, who had two big threes late. But outside of that, really struggled to shoot the basketball. Only got 15 shots up, 3 of 8 from 3. He did have 10 assists, however. But they don't need him distributing. They need Jokic distributing. They need Jamal Murray scoring. And, you know, all these things fall perfectly for Miami. Nothing, I'm not going to say nothing goes right for Denver, but a bunch of guys who you expect to make shots didn't make shots for Denver. Miami only won by three. Okay, it took a bad shooting night from Denver. I mean, Denver only shot, you know, I mean, well, they they shot 40% from three, but guys who usually make threes didn't. Um, And so, I don't know, you got a weird shooting night from Denver and an absolutely perfect offensive night outside of Jimmy Butler kind of struggling through the first three quarters, obviously, you know, he comes alive in the fourth quarter and, and puts Denver away, as he seems to always do in these games. He was really good in the fourth quarter. But Miami has this perfect storm. They only win by three. Um, look, if you put your money on Denver to start the series, you're, you're still sitting pretty, okay? You're still sitting pretty. They're still clearly the better team. Miami just had a really good night offensively. But that being said... They've done this in every series. They have four nights like this, and they win on all four of them. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. This is this is a series now. Miami won a road game. So, going to Miami, that game is – I'm not too, too sure when that game is, actually. Uh, it'll be in a few days. You know how they like to space out the NBA Finals. It'll be on Wednesday night. That game set for Wednesday night, 8.30. Denver favored in that one by two points. Uh, we'll see what happens in that one. Uh, I'll have another live reaction video coming out after that one as well. If you enjoyed this video, drop a like. Uh, let me know your thoughts on the series so far. Can Miami pull it out now, now that they've stolen one on the road? Uh, comment your thoughts, and then subscribe if you want more. As I said, Game 3, we're going to have another reaction. So, The YouTube is shooting the Schmidt just like you spell the podcast if you want to head over to YouTube and subscribe. Sorry about that. Usually, I don't copy and paste stuff over. I just messed up my jaw. I don't want to get into it. Let's talk about these NBA head coaching hires. Let's start in Phoenix. 
Frank Vogel, perfect fit for Phoenix. I really like this hire. Um, I think Phoenix needs a coach with some defensive prowess because we know the offensive firepower that this team has between Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and potentially DeAndre Ayton, which is another reason why I'm excited about Frank Vogel. We saw what he did in L.A. Now, let me say this before I make my points. It is much easier to unlock Anthony Davis offensively than it is going to be DeAndre Ayton. But we've seen him have success with a similar power forward type to DeAndre Ayton, a guy in Anthony Davis who can step away from the basket and knock down that 15 to 18 foot jump shot. Ayton, very similar. Both have good touch around the rim. Now, as I said, Anthony Davis, clearly the better player. But DeAndre Ayton is a guy who can and should have success in the NBA. And I think Frank Vogel is a guy who can get him to that point. You know, with that being said, he's going to be the third option, okay? He's not going to be a guy who averages 28 points a night in his first team All-NBA. But he can be a guy who averages, you know, 18.5 points a night and pulls down 12 rebounds and is a legitimate third option on offense, a guy who can punish switches because that's what teams are going to do to this Phoenix team. They're going to switch screen and rolls because every team in the NBA switches screen and roll. And when that happens, Aiton has to be a guy who can post up smaller defenders or shoot over them. Either one, he has to be able to score at some level against smaller defenders, which is something we haven't really seen him do since he came into the league. And that should be something that every big guy in the NBA should do, especially when you're the number one overall pick, okay? If you're the number one overall pick, you should be able to do more than just run to the rim and rebound and kind of play defense, okay? Like, I fully expect for Aiden's scoring to develop under Frank Vogel. That, and I expect for... The defense won't be great just look at, just because of the roster. They don't have the wing defenders to have, you know, a top 10, top 5 defense in the NBA. But they have the coach who should be able to put them in, you know, the middle of the road, at least, and if they're the middle of the road defensively and they're going to be top, you know, top 10, top 5 in offense just because of the guys they have on their roster between Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, you know, that middle of the road defense should be more than enough for them to compete in the Western Conference even though I will say I don't know how this hire makes them better than Denver. Okay, they're going to have to make some legit roster tweaks in order to be better than the Denver Nuggets. Now the other hire, the hire that I love Maybe my favorite hire of the summer. Monty Williams goes to Detroit for a lot of money. Okay, he's got a track record of coaching young teams. He's coached several young teams. And Detroit is filled. Filled with young talent. They're adding another guy with the fifth overall pick in this year's draft. Cade Cunningham, 21 years old. Jay Nivey, 21 years old. Jalen Duran, 19 years old. Killian Hayes, 21 years old. James Wiseman, 22 years old. In total, when you look at their entire roster, top to bottom, they have 10 guys at the age of 24 or younger. So this team has a lot of young talents. Okay, There's a lot of options here for Monty Williams. We've seen him have a lot of success with Chris Paul, a pass-first point guard who has the ability to score. Is that not exactly what Cade Cunningham is, just at a bigger size? Guess what Cade Cunningham is? He's a guy who wants to get other guys involved. And then score later. Like, that's who he is. That's who Chris Paul is. Okay, now I'm not saying Kate Cunningham's Chris Paul, but very similar play styles and just the idea of they want to get their teammates involved. Then you got a guy in Jay, Jay Nivey. Highly explosive. A guy who can really score the basketball. Monty Williams can have success with a guy like that. Okay, we saw him figure out a way to 
kind of get DeAndre Ayton involved. This is really kind of where I'm concerned for Detroit is what is he going to do with guys like Jalen Duran and James Wiseman? Like two, you know, talented players, especially Wiseman, a guy who can do a lot on the offensive end. What is he going to do with them? Because as I said, he didn't have the best, you know, outing with Ayton while he was in Phoenix. You know, he didn't develop him super well. You know, when like Ayton was, was, you know, Ayton didn't develop under Monty Williams the way that he should have, and that is the concern with him in Detroit. Are Jalen Duran and James Wiseman going to develop their games under Monty Williams? That is the big question that I have. But in terms of the guards that they have, they should be fine, okay? Those are guards that Monty Williams can work with, and we've seen him work well on teams that have good guards before. And, yeah, like I really like this hire. I think he's going to be there a long time. Detroit got better hiring Monty Williams. That's ultimately what you want to see from your hiring. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmitz. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I know it's short. My jaw's killing me. I don't, like I said, I don't want to get into it, but thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again on Thursday with another podcast. Also going to have up a YouTube video on Wednesday night after Game 3 of the NBA Finals. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Subscribe, follow, whatever your app has you do. And yeah, like I said, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be back again on Thursday with another podcast for y'all.